Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for May 24th, 2019. The cart track. We're going to talk a little bit about the cart track and the cart operation today in our interview. The update on that, the new section... Looks like the asphalt has been complete in the new section, and the old section has been ground off, ready for its new layer of asphalt. Pretty exciting stuff there. We uh, all look forward to still on track for a June 1st opening, and the the race um, there on Sunday, June 2nd, will be the first uh, Ignite Series race for the Audubon Country Club. Well, I was up at the track last Sunday, the 12th of May, and it was Mother's Day. Uh, my wife and I stopped in there. We happened to be uh, in Chicago for our anniversary on the 11th, and we stopped in the track, had some friends join us, and if you need track time, I recommend Mother's Day because there, the track was wide open. It was a lot of fun bringing some friends up there, especially, so we drove we drove three cars: are the Lexus RCF and the M2 Competition and the M5, the BMWs M2 and M5 for touring. Our guests really enjoyed that. It was it was it was a pretty good time there. The weather was very nice there at the track on Mother's Day, and we had a great lunch as always. Just taking a quick look at the schedule of upcoming events. The 24th is Ladies' Day. That is already sold out when the podcast comes out. The next Ladies' Day is June 5th. And get a hold of Terry Weber at AudubonCC.com to sign up for that. May 24th is an off-road tour. If you haven't been to that, you can bring your motorcycle, ATV, UTV, Jeep, 4x4, anything you want to do. And they, they come out and we run around the club and various uh, off-road avenues. It's a lot of fun and prepared to get dirty. There's some stuff that comes back awfully dirty. And if you're a motorcycle fan, June 5th, June 25th, they're going to be Motorcycle Day at the track. I missed the last chase race, which was the beginning of the Pro and Novice Division. Novice Division had four racers, so if you have not done a chase race, go back and listen to the last podcast with Mike Gritter. talks all about the new format for two chase races. If you'd like to get involved, it'd be this is the perfect time. I don't know how many are going to show up for the next race, but four showed up for the last time, and it was great. So get on the schedule for that. I unfortunately missed it. I was in Dallas for two straight weeks training uh, in the simulator uh at my airline that I fly for, and it was nothing but constant chaos in the simulator as we got ran through every possible emergency three times and doubled up to make it three times worse than it possibly could have been. It was uh, eight days of simulator training and a total of 10, 10 training days there. It was a lot of work. Long days and happy to be back. It is, I'm recording this on Sunday the 19th. My son just finished up with a cart race down at Springfield at Mid-State Cart Club. Turned out pretty good for him. We had a lot of fun down there. 
Can't wait to get started on our own track, June 1st. I've mentioned there's a couple new staff members at the Audubon Country Club. One is Alan Bertinoli. He's the general manager of the cart circuit. That's the new name for the cart complex at the Audubon Country Club. It's the cart circuit. And uh, Alan Bertinoli joined in last month. He brings a wealth of karting experience. We're going to get to know him here on the podcast. So, the Audubon Country Club podcast would now like to welcome Alan Bertinoli. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you say your, say your name for me? Alan Bertinoli. Bertinoli. Yep. Okay. That, uh, I'm Italian, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, my father was Italian. My, my grandfather came from the old country, so yeah. So, so. you're third generation or sec- second generation, I guess, right? Uh, third, yeah. Well, yeah, second, yeah. My, uh, uh, my, my, my mother was French, French-Canadian, so it was... Um, so I, I got the best of both worlds in the bread world, you know, French and Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and wh- where did you grow up? I grew up in northern Michigan, up in the Upper Peninsula, up in Marquette, uh-huh. on Lake Superior. Uh, snows a lot there. So um, moved down here when I was 18 to go to, uh, to go to college. I went to college at DeVry University uh-huh. back in the day when there was only one DeVry in Chicago, uh, down in the city. And, uh, and I um, stayed here after I graduated, because I have an engineering degree, uh, and and uh, Northern Michigan, there's there wasn't much going on up there from uh, from an engineering perspective. So I just uh, plus I was when I moved away and I lived in the Chicagoland area for four years. I I uh, decided that uh, the further south I went, the better I, the the happier I was because it, it's it's it snows uh, pretty close to 260 to 300 inches a year up there. So. I mean, you love winter sports. I mean, I, di- I didn't know any different, and I, th- that was life as I knew it. So, uh, I, plus the the job market for engineering and um, electronics, which I was, my degree was in, was uh, very prevalent, and the job market was really you know doing pretty well in the time when I graduated. So I stayed in the Chicagoland area and moved around. I lived in some of the suburbs. I lived in Schaumburg area, and then I moved out uh, out further out west to Algonquin and Crystal Lake area. So when your when your grandfather came over here, did he settle up there? No. He did. What did yeah. he do up there? Um, interesting enough, he uh, he owned a bowling alley, really. Um, so uh, and a restaurant. So my grandmother was the cook, uh, and um, and he owned uh, one of the biggest bowling alleys in Marquette. Marquette is a uh, college town. Northern Michigan University is there. So um, so yeah, he. I, I'm I'm not sure why they settled there. There, I'm, I'm sure there was a. Uh, um, another group of Italian Italians that they knew up there, so it was uh, it was interesting. It was. Uh, you know where he was from? From Italy? I don't know. He was. It was northern Italy. Northern, northern Italy. I know that. I just don't know the specifics on that. So. And then, what did your dad do when he was? The... My dad. Um, well, my dad went to Michigan State University, and then he graduated, and um, he actually started a, a business similar to what he actually when he got out of college and he got married to my mom. They. Uh, they uh, owned a bar, and that lasted as soon as um, my oldest brother was born. He decided that that was not the life for a family man, so um, he had his degree in teaching, and he ended up uh, was he was a, he was a teacher and a, a gym and a basketball coach for oh. for his entire life. So oh, cool. Yeah, it was it was an interesting life. We uh, we had it was it was real quiet up there, um, and uh, both my parents have passed now, but it's it's. Uh, 
Yeah, I have really fond memories of being up there, that's for sure. I was, I fly airplanes for, uh, and for Southwest, and I was fine with the guy who lives up there, and I, he just talked about, he, he goes, I go up there when I can, you know, talk about the snow, you know, mm-hmm. when he can get home and didn't see anybody for four days, just four days off, he didn't see a soul. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hear a soul, doesn't hear a vehicle, lives mm-hmm. on a on a gravel road way back up in the, mm-hmm. you know, and then he was talking about how when they do come through to plow, how big of a deal it is with the machinery they have to, oh, yeah. to get the place clean. They know how to move snow. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting because it snowed so much uh, throughout the year that they could only plow the snow back so far away from the roads. Um, so halfway through the winter, they would come through with one of those gigantic snowblowers that you'd see at an airport. Yeah. Yeah. And they would cut the snowbanks back, load the snow in, in dump trucks, and take it and dump it somewhere. Um, but it was, and it was uh, the iron ore uh, mining business Brandy is really it, yeah. big up there. And then also Iron Mountains up there. Iron Mountain yeah. is up there. Uh, yeah. Iron Wood. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of towns, iron towns, a lot of mining, uh, open pit mining, and then. Um, uh, there was a, a lot of ships that would come to Marquette, and they had these big ore docks where they would they would pelletize the iron and make them into round pellets, which were perfect for for wrist rockets when we were growing up. <laughs> um, but actually, um, you know, they always people always joke about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. But it was, I mean, I, I ended up seeing that boat before it sank. It was interesting because I lived up there back then, and um, so we had it. It was it was a very very interesting and, and, and quiet life, um, you know. Um, I did a lot of sports growing up, and uh, I worked in I worked in a sports shop when I was in high school. I worked in a bicycle, bike and ski shop. So in the winter you worked on skis, and in the summer I worked on on bicycles. So I always that's kind of where I started getting some of my mechanical and loved to take things apart and put them back together and clean them and fix them and so forth. So I I knew when I was growing up I was like I want to I want to be I want to work with my hands. I want to do something interesting. So that's why I went into a, an, into an engineering school. So. Very cool, very cool. So you, you're you were settled in there, and and so let's just skip around, I think, a little bit, and then we need to go back to fill in, if if I may. So sure. How did you end up at the Audubon? So this is your not about th- three weeks into it. Yeah, about three. Day weeks fifteen. In, yeah, May or April fifteenth, right? Yeah. So this is day fifteen. So oh, day fifteen. Yeah. Day fifteen, and I started on the fifteenth. Correct. So okay. yeah, yeah. So. Um, so, <clears throat> I guess to skip around a little bit, I knew about the Audubon because uh, the Audubon had a, a cart race here two years ago um, where they hosted the Route 66 regional race, and then they also hosted uh, a United States Pro Kart Series national event. Uh, my son at that time, was it was his first year as a pro. He was 15 at the time, and we raced here twice. Plus, I, I knew about... I knew about just you know, being involved in knowing cars and racing as much as I do, I knew about I knew about the Audubon, but I didn't I didn't spend much time down here. But when we raced here two years ago, we spent uh, pretty you know pretty close to a week here, doing testing and, and racing and so forth. Um, yeah, I remember when that was here. It was a yeah, big, it was a lot of yeah, yeah. We did really well here, as a matter of fact. So it was I have fond memories of even racing uh, or my son racing on the track here. So um, so I. I um, took a temporary, I, I, I left the current job that I was in. I worked for a really high-tech software company for the last 10 years. And um, I, I, w- I knew I needed a change. I was just looking for a change uh, in pace. And I was actually looking in the same industry that I had worked in for years. And um, several of the people that I know in the racing industry and the go-kart industry 
had heard or, or uh, had talked to some folks at the Audubon, and they, um, I, ha I got recommended for the job. And so I, when I had interviewed with, with Tim and Craig, um, I did it just out of interest in auto sports. Tim O'Donnell. Tim O'Donnell and, 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 and Craig Cunningham. The correct. general manager and the CEO here. Correct. Um, it was <clears throat> when I talked to them, I was pleasantly surprised at, um, at just, you know, their demeanor, the, the walk of life that they both came from. Um, I was very impressed with, you know, just their, the, the way they handled themselves. Um, and I, I saw it as um, a really change in my life to be able to work in motorsports because I loved motorsports my entire life. And I've been, I, I raced professionally myself, uh, road race motorcycles for many years. Um, and I've been involved with go-karting for the last 12 with my son. So I saw this as a, a real positive change in my life. And to be involved in motorsports, uh, uh, who wouldn't want to work in their passion? So um, I uh, thought about it with my wife after I had interviewed with them and interviewed a couple times. And it just turned one thing, turned into and it, all, the, all the signs and, and, I, and, and everything was just um, leaning towards me being here, I just I felt that was meant to be. It was, it, it, and it, the, the first three weeks of being here have been extremely, extremely uh, great. I, I can't, I can't tell you how much I love being here. Do you live close? I, I don't. I, I, had, uh, I live in Crystal Lake, so it's a little bit of a drive. Yeah. Uh, but so far, it, it hasn't really bothered me. I, I take phone calls when I'm, you know, in the car. Listen to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, listen to music, and um, so far it's been great. You know, obviously we've had quite a bit of rain lately, so that sometimes slows the commute down a little bit. Um, people drive more cautiously, but it's it's it hasn't hasn't really bothered me so far. It's it's been real productive so far. And like I said, the the days that I've been here, and um, we've accomplished a lot in the last three weeks. We have a lot of work to do to get the cart facility up and running, um, and the reconstruction of it, and and it's going to be. I can tell you because I've been to just about every go-kart racetrack um, from east to west, north to south in the United States, and this is going to be definitely one of the premier facilities, uh, not only in the Midwest, but probably in, in the country. Okay, so that kind of sets this, the story. Now I'd like to go back and, first of all, touch on your racing experience. When you Did you start in motorcycle racing or just I did yeah so I, I always loved motors I, I love motorsports of any kind and then when I a funny story uh, so uh, one of my brothers was seriously injured on a motorcycle so I was forbidden for, from having a motorcycle so I, I started riding late uh, I had to wait until I got out of high school and moved away from home and I was in college and and I was able to purchase my first motorcycle and I like street riding and then I I loved watching superbike racing and, and, and road racing, so I ended up meeting a, uh, uh, um, uh, another racer uh, in a motorcycle shop one day in Schaumburg, where I lived. Um, and he said, oh, they're having a, a racing school uh, up in Blackhawk Farms, up in Beloit, and you should just come up and, and just try it out for a day, just to, just to, just to, you know, it's just a school. So I went up and I took the school and uh, they, uh, they, after the school, they, they hand you... Uh, what so you was, took your own uh, motorcycle up I there? took my own motorcycle up okay. there, yeah. I trailered it up there. What kind of motorcycle was that? It was a, a Yamaha, Yamaha FZ 750. So back in the days when the FZs... It was before the FZRs. And um, 
so after you done, were done with the class, they said, oh, you have a novice license now. You can race, and we have, we're having a race tomorrow. And I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. And <laughs> you had all the equipment and everything? And, and all yeah, the, I, I had borrowed a set of leathers. I had my own helmet and gloves. And, um, and so I had borrowed uh, somebody's leathers and boots. And so I, I raced the next day, and, and then it was in the middle of the season. I ended up racing a couple more races for the rest of the year uh, at Blackhawk. Um, and then I also raced at Groton in Michigan a few times. And, um, and then I just, it continued on from there as, you know, just in a lot of forms of racing, as you advance and get better, you compete at a higher level. So I, I was racing as a privateer. It was, it was all my own equipment all the time. Cause I was a little older for, for, you know, but I had fun with it. I raced as novice. Then I turned into uh, an expert and then I held a pro license for three years and I raced some big races, uh, it was it was tough to compete with factory teams, but it was fun. So I'm assuming you fall off occasionally. I fell off quite a few times. Yeah. So okay. So <laughs> I'm trying to. I didn't want to say crash, everybody. Everybody falls off. I was going to say fall off, right? So first of all, how bad are you when you? Because I see them fly off and they get up and walk around. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. I I was fortunate. I was very fortunate for the seven to eight years that I raced that I I never had an ambulance ride. So um, but you just slide across. And well, it depends on <laughs> it depends on if you slide or if it if it. So there's two different types of crashes. Well, multiple types of crashes, but they're two prevalent. One is the low side where the motorcycle will wash out and you slide along. Those are most the most forgiving. The other ones are what's called the high side when the tire slides, grabs, and then it flips you off the motorcycle and you fly through the air and land pretty hard usually. Um, and pavement is not real forgiving, especially at speed. So, um, so I, I had a few uh, here and, and there. Is, is the, are the motorcycles okay? It's generally, generally, generally not. No, they get pretty damaged okay. when they. And once again, a low side is less uh, is, is, as long as it doesn't get caught in the grass and then start tumbling around. It's it's usually forgiving. You can get up, and there might be a broken peg or a steering uh, a handlebar. Um, a lever of some sort, but uh, when you high side, it a lot. Of, there's a lot of damage that can occur. So, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like we, we we watch them here. As a matter of fact, we were at a a, a cart race in Springfield this weekend, mm-hmm. and they had and my son ha- does have a small CFR 100 uh, Honda uh, dirt bike, mm-hmm. and they had those there with slicks on them doing what they called mini motos. Yeah, yeah, and. Boy, his eyes just got big around silver dollars because, oh, I want to do that. And I said, well, the equipment that you need is probably more than your dirt bikes worth. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was interesting to see these guys on the go-kart track with their little... And that's a small racetrack. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're small dirt bikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mid-Cart Stateway is a, is a really small track, but it's very fun. So... It's very... From a, from a car perspective, that's, that's a... It's a it's a very fun facility. We have we have we've we've done really well there the years in all the years we've raced. We haven't raced there for a couple of years, but because uh, <clears throat> they don't ha- hold any real national large national events, and that's kind of what we're what we do now uh, with my son. I do we do some of the larger. larger okay, well let's stop there. So we have we got to catch up on the cart, on sure, the cart sure, set, cart set, everything. So um, how many kids do you have? Do you have just I have I have three. So three. yeah, yeah, I have uh, well, I have one one natural born son and then I have two stepkids so so uh, my, they, my natural born son is the one that the one that races so and so how did that come about so obviously I um, well I shouldn't say obviously but I, I um, and I'm not trying to talk you out of it 
I didn't want him to race motorcycles. And when, when he was growing up, you know, I was like, oh, this would be really cool to, you know, uh, kids can start racing go-karts at five um, in, you know, in certain clubs that are around the Midwest. And so when he turned five, we bought him what was called a kid cart. Um, and that was, I think that was 2007. And, and you're racing maybe out at Norway? We raced, we had, we raced at Norway pr- primarily in Dousman up in, uh, at the Badger Cart Club. That's where he, that's where, that one? That that is, Wisconsin. It, it's, it's right outside of Milwaukee uh, in, uh, the town is called Dousman. Um, it's by Oconomowoc, uh, west towards Madison. Okay. So it's from where we lived, it was about an hour and 15 minutes. So we, I, where I live is directly dab, smack dab, halfway. I can get to Norway or, or Dousman in about the same amount of time. But uh, Dousman had a really good club program for beginners. So we, we, and, and they always had a large amount of racers there. So we started there, and that's kind of where he cut his teeth. So that's, so yeah, I, similar situation. My cousins, well, my, they were all flat track racers, mm-hmm. pros. And when they had kids, their dad said, my dad and their dad, their grandpa and my dad were brothers. That's so a generation's kind of skip there. But my dad hated motorcycles and didn't like the fact that his nephew was racing motorcycles and just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And so when his nephew's kids started racing motorcycles, he really didn't like it. They owned the Yamaha shop in town. And I remember he said, it's kind of mean now that I think about it. He would take me in there on Saturdays and let me hang out with the motorcycles, but he forbid me to have one. Right. So I didn't get one. And so, but when their kids started racing, they started racing, they said, Motors, you know, flat track, and we saw too many people got killed. Yeah. Not just hurt, but killed. And mm-hmm. so they, they switched to quarter midgets, and they did quarter midgets, quarter midgets and mini sprints. And that's how I got involved in karting, because they would tear that thing apart on Sunday night, and that's all they would do all week long. Now, they loved it, and they were mm-hmm. great mechanics. I didn't want to do that. I said, I, I can't learn. I don't want to learn. I don't want to do that. And I went to him, and he said, well, you should look at karting, and it's a lot less expensive, and there's no suspension. And mm-hmm. So that that's how we ended up with my son, and long story short, how we, how we ended up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you guys are just going out to track in a kid cart mm-hmm. and racing, and, it, and just went from a kid cart to a... He was in a kid cart for a year and a half, um, so he raced as a five and a six-year-old. And, um, and what I, kind I, of carts were they? Uh, they were Burrells. Uh, so we started off in a Burrell kid cart. At that time, the Burrell kid cart was was a really good product. It still is. With uh, the Rotex? No, it was a Comer 50. Uh, okay. That that was the motor that you that you ran on a kid cart. It was a two two cycle 50 cc motor, real low horsepower. Uh, restricted to a gear and a weight and, and I mean it was you know with most forms of go-kart racing they, they try to keep parity as close as possible especially when you know in the younger years um, actually all the way up but so he raced as a kid kart um, racer at five and then a full season as a six-year-old and then <clears throat> when you turn I, I've always moved him up as soon as he can move up I, th- I thought you know and I, I would recommend that to most racers is is um, I always say take your lumps early because you're gonna you're gonna take them no matter what. So move up as soon as you can in class. We moved him up into a into a, a rookie junior cart um, at age seven, and then um, at age eight he won his first championship. So uh, uh, he won a club championship at, at Badger Cart Club, and then it progressed to regional racing. 
Um, so we started racing Midwest, uh, most of, mostly Route 66 series, which is the one of, uh, and also um, at that time they also had something kind of called the Midwest Sprint Series that was running in the Midwest here as well too. So that's as far away as Indianapolis, I'm guessing. Yeah, we ran we ran to uh, Newcastle, which is in Indianapolis, Mid State Kart Club. Um, we ran it, uh, which is in Springfield. We also ran at MRP, which is in South Bend, South Bend and we ran at Norway. Mm-hmm. and Dowsman. Those were the prime, and Road America at Elkhart Lake. Okay. So they have a really good kart track up there. So those are primarily the places we ran um, from a regional race, and then he, we progressed. And you're leaving in, on a Friday for this practice? And the Saturday uh, we would generally leave on a Thursday night. <clears throat> practice Friday, race Saturday, Sunday. So the regional stuff was pretty, you know, it was a little bit less forgiving than national, national level racing. It was a little bit less of a commitment, and it was a good way to progress on. Um, and he did regional racing for several years and won several championships at a regional level. And then, and then we started doing that. When he, when he turned uh, 13, I moved him into a full junior cart, um, which was the same as a senior cart, only it's a little more restricted with a different weight, weight limit. And yeah. what, and those Burrell frames? And no, we, uh, so, uh, so we, we moved away from Burrell um, when he moved out of the kid cart. Um, our first, well, his first rookie cart was a Burrell cart, and then um, he did well, obviously winning that club championship. And then he uh, he was uh, approached by Jamie Siraki at at Franklin uh, Franklin Cart in uh, New Berlin, Wisconsin. So he ran he ran Mer- he ran for the Merlin race team from the time he was nine until he, all two stroke stuff. All two stroke. We've always raced all two stroke. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, so he raced for Jamie Siraki, and he raced uh, he raced on the Merlin team for many many years, um, and raced e- even into his senior years. He he raced for Merlin, and then that, there was a change after that. So, are you his primary mechanic this whole entire time? Yes. Or are you? Yes. So I did a driver, coach, um, and everything. So I, I did it all, and uh, until he was. 13 and with his first junior year I, I realized and with many dads and their sons or daughters um, they stopped listening at a certain point so um, I still did the mechanical work and when he turned 13 when he moved into the junior ranks and we started doing national level racing but um, I hired a I hired a, a, a coaching a coach for him um, and that's really um, that's when he really started doing well when, when I hired the coach so because like I said Anybody that has kids and kids in racing, and some kids are different than others. They, 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 at a certain point, they stop listening to their parents, especially from a coaching perspective. You know, they, oh yeah, dad, I know it. You know, so, and uh, sometimes it would tur- turn into, and you've probably seen it at the racetrack before. It's a little bit of bickering back and forth. So I was like, we had to do something different, and it was a great move. So, um, and yeah, that, and so, three. He's won three. National champion? Four. Four national champions. Four, yeah. Four. And how old is he? How old is your son? What's he's your son's he, name? Alex. Alex? Yeah, oh. he's, he's 17. He's 17? Yeah, yeah. They, in, in karting, at 15, you turn pro. So um, so he won um, he won three junior championships and one senior. When he The first year as a senior, he won he won a title as well, too. And then the last year and a half has been um, a little bit more of a challenge. But, you know, it's, he's, he's, and he's still... he's practicing both at the same places? Is that where primary where he's practicing? And... Um, we usually practice only, uh, we do test dates, um, sometimes uh, locally at, at Dousman or, or somewhere else. Uh, primarily he does testing and, and, and practice um, at the events two days before. So 
you know, we'll show up on a Wednesday night, and he'll practice Thursday, Friday, race Saturday, Sunday. So and you're going coast to coast? We're going coast to coast, yeah. So this year... Are, this you, are you trailer in the... No, 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 no. No, he races, he races, uh, he ra he's raced for three separate factory teams already, so he's, uh, we just, we just, uh, for the last two years, it's pretty much been, he shows up and the equipment's there. Um, um, I have to work on it and sometimes, you know, do a little bit of prep work when we're there and then and then we just get in and test and race. He's still in high school, I guess? Or is he, he is, yeah. He's a junior. Junior, so he's, he's got one more year. Yeah, he's got one more yeah. year, yeah. yep. And he's still going strong in the... He is, yes, yeah. So, so far, uh, January, we raced in Miami, uh, Miami Homestead. And then February, he raced in Miami Homestead. And then um, in um, March, we raced at Cal Speed out in uh, Fontana. So he were, we were actually supposed to race this weekend in, in, uh, at Miller Motorsports Park. I don't think they call it anymore in Utah. And, uh, but he's got prom, and kids have to be kids, and I, I acknowledge that. So uh, we're not racing this weekend. So. Yeah. So we, we, we hope to be racing. We hope to be racing. We've got four. So this is the May 3rd. Our track's not open. He's got three races, four races already, mm -hmm. and about four days of practicing. Mm -hmm. um, my son this year, so he's getting a lot of cart time, even with our cart track not not ready to to be open yet. Yeah, some good progress today. I saw. Looks like yeah, the yeah, they, yeah. They were out there. I mean, I, they were supposed to be putting the light poles up today. Our starting, they have them all assembled, and I see the dump truck out there uh, dumping gravel. There was a a big dozer pushing it because it was a, a spinning its tires and a little bit of a loose <laughs> loose sand out there. In the yeah. Yeah. So, with um, what what so your exact position here is the is the I'm the general manager of the cart circuit at the Audubon. Okay, general so. manager cart circuit at the Audubon. Yes. Yeah. So the cart circuit is kind of a new. Did we always call it that, or is no. that kind of a new name? Right? No, that's new. It's a new. It's a new entity. It's going to be okay. operating separately from the Audubon, but it's part of the Audubon. So, um, it's. It's very exciting. I mean, it's the, the things that we're going to be doing over there, um, just um, the look and the feel of it is going to be completely different than it was before. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with how things were ha being handled before, but it's, it's going to, we're creating a whole new image well, over there. Well, I hope that the one thing that I find here, and, and, and my wife also, we love the atmosphere and we love the camaraderie. We love people that listen to podcasts. Know the, the paddock area the, of getting together. We love the race series here because it's so uh, empowering. I think to both the racers mm -hmm. and the people that aren't racing, whether that would be a spouse, a family mm -hmm. friend, or the parents. And we obviously have more full-grown adults racing than we do kids. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think it's that environment that's very empowering. So I have been to this year, well, this year and last year, just two other racetracks and race facilities, and there's really nothing like what we are doing here. And I just, uh, I just commend, you know, how that has been built. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to when the track opens up, you know, getting out there with our friends and, mm -hmm. and racing and enjoying that incredible supportive atmosphere that takes place down there it's, right. it's it's fantastic yeah i think with the added the added length of the track and the new 
configuration with elevation brings a whole new dynamic. And I can say that, you know, from listening to my son and many others, many other um, children, young, you know, young adults all the way to adults, uh, any, when you ever, have, you ever have a racetrack that has any type of elevation when you're not racing on a flat racetrack, they, they just absolutely love it. Cool. Um, and I was the longer and the smoother, the better. And, and it's going to be all of those. It's going to be longer, smoother. We're going to have elevation changes. We're going to have lights now, um, stadium quality LED lighting. So there's going to be, um, it's going to be, like I said, a state-of-the-art facility. And I think that camaraderie that you spoke of is going to grow. Um, yeah, it's, it, I hope so. I hope so. hope we get more people who will come down there and, and just spend the time. We have so many guys with carts here, mm-hmm. guys and gals with carts here, that, uh, you know, everybody doesn't have to race, mm-hmm. but to come down there and to, be, and to be part of it and to spend time there and to get better, and everyone is, is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just speaking to Kyle Nato um, about just in the last two days this past weekend, how much I learned mm-hmm. um, being around the two different race series and just learning about what's going on. And mm-hmm. I, I think that everybody's been pretty helpful. There's, at some of the bigger competitions, there's a little, you know, I don't really feel like I can go to the guy, hey, what gear are you running? What, what mm-hmm. tire pressure are you running? Now, we're hiring a factory mechanic mm-hmm. so far. That's a good question for you, Dad. We're hiring, I'm hiring a Margate mechanic at all these races. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, there's a race tomorrow, so this is Friday, there's a race tomorrow, Saturday, the, the 4th in St. Louis, and I had not hired a mechanic. I feel much more comfortable with my mechanic <coughs> ability. Mm-hmm. I don't hire one here, and mm-hmm. I don't, I, when we race in Springfield, I didn't hire one. But there is a relatively available, should I continue, so I've had a mechanic one, maybe three times, mm-hmm. should I continue to hire that mechanic slash a little bit of a coach, but mostly mechanic? Should uh, I continue to that, or can I take it over myself and save myself a couple hundred bucks? Um, I, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, it depends on how comfortable you feel or how much you felt you've learned from them. Um, and, it, and I think the key point is, is how much your son... Uh, how comfortable he feels with that individual because if if that bond is there or if that connection with that individual is there um, I highly recommend that you know maybe to continue on with that the thing that you would be looking at is you know they'll they'll get used to that and you know they'll want to continue on with that so um, once again it really depends on how much you've learned and how much you feel comfortable with doing it on your own. Well, considering I just learned a million things this past weekend that I it's didn't a even lot, know. It's a lot. I didn't even know. It's a lot to keep up with, you know. <laughs> you know what the go-kart will do if, if you do this to it, if you do that to it, you know. Um, how much, you know, uh, you know a, a pound or even a half pound of air pressure will make. And, you know, whether you're doing, you know, offsets and, and you know, uh, different types of uh, pressures around. There's, there's different things that you can do. That you, There's so many things you can. I'm still learning things. I'm still I'm still learning things after after 12 or 13 years. It's at what point did your you know we're trying to encourage my son to really give a lot of feedback to me as the mechanic or the mechanic that we have. At at what point did your son was he able to communicate what the cart was doing and what he needed? Did that happen a long time? And that and that is one of the most frustrating parts about um, dealing with with kids. 
is their their ability. Some, some kids have a better ability to learn and know what the go-kart is doing at a younger age, but most of them, in reality, it takes into their mid-teens. And I'm not trying to discourage you. It's No, no, it, my it's, son's 14, and uh, just this year, we've got him down to, is the cart loose at the beginning, middle, or end of right. the turn? Right, and, and he's... I, I was just sharing a story again that... Uh, that coach saw him this weekend and said, are you trail breaking into that last turn? Well, he asked me, he goes, does your son trail break? And I said, well, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I answered it right because and they took him aside and they said, hey, were you trail breaking in there? Mm-hmm. Or do you trail break? He goes, yeah, sometimes. He goes, are you trail breaking into that turn? And he goes, yeah. And the, the coach said, well, stop it. Don't mm-hmm. do it because you're, you're not, that's not right to do in that turn. Mm-hmm. And he'd stopped it. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He listened to it. That's great. He did it and he picked up the time that he needed to pick up in that turn. Oh, that's great. And that was that was probably one of the first real good exchanges I think that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was I was super happy obviously as a as a dad to sometimes you have to lead them down that path, you know, like like in that circumstance you can tell he he was asked if he was doing something cuz a lot of times you can observe um, in that particular situation I'm guessing the mechanic may have grabbed grabbed the axle when he came in. Because if you're trail breaking a lot, the axle will get really hot. So I'm I'm, I'm assuming either he noticed something visually, which is yeah, he did visually. which is very hard to see, especially yeah. on a larger track, um, or you know you can you know you can come in and you can grab the rear axle where, where the where the brake disc is located. If it's really hot, you generally know their trail they're dragging the brake. So like I said, there's so many things you could learn. <laughs> so and so here's the here's the big question I have. So he's he was a second off the leader mm-hmm. this weekend at Gateway, the one in the track in St. Louis. He's a second off. Is that second a common... I'm, okay, I'm not going to... I'm going to ask the question without trying to... So here, so when I'm flying an airplane and we're going into a storm, mm-hmm. I don't say <clears throat> to the co-pilot, I go, I think we should go left. Because he's going to say, we should go left. Mm-hmm. I say, which direction do you want to go? Because he might see something I don't see. Mm-hmm. So you always want to get that guy to say something first. So I'm gonna, not going to try to imply something from my question. But of that second, and you obviously you haven't never seen my kid race, you know, get, or you've seen the other kid race. But of my, so he's got about three years of experience. He's a second slower than the lead guy. Is that second the cart, the driver, or a combination? a combination about equal that i don't know without <laughs> without watching and, and knowing the, you know the the driving it just without watching without, right yeah. i know that was a huge general question right but if i could just know if i just knew that right. when i was in business years ago i just wonder what's the best way to advertise if i just knew that one way right you know then i could put all my money into mm-hmm. that one way mm-hmm. and you know do i need to put money into a better cart slash setup or do I need to just take him to the track you know a million more times mm-hmm. and I want that kid mm-hmm. the young man who's the fastest and he, he's got to be 12 just 12 he is so fast I want him hey will you take this cart around and see what t- I just want him to drive that cart and mm-hmm. see what time so I'll know as a dad slash coach mentor whatever you want to call me that I would know where was <laughs> could, this kid from 
yeah. first of all. Where, where was the fast kid from? Was he from St. Louis? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that yeah. there you go. So you Yeah, it was his home track, but he's had... always fast. He's been fast here. He's been fast in Springfield. Okay. He's always fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that um, – there's a lot of things with the Briggs motor that, um, you know, people are – most people race them out of the box, but there are certain things you can do to the top end of the motor to legally improve performance of mm-hmm. them. I mean, little bits and pieces, but uh, generally speaking, um, most of the time that you're going to gain is is either with the driver or, or chassis tuning. Um, a lot there's a lot of parity within the motors, not only the Briggs 206, but a lot even some of the two-stroke stuff that out that's out there. Once you get to a certain level um, <clears throat> of engine builder. Um, so the thing that you have to keep in mind is, you know, there's little, little, you know, tents here, tents there that you can gain from experience or from the driver knowing what to do. And then there's also tents to sometimes even more gained with, with chassis tuning. So it really depends on, like I said, the driver, the experience where they're racing and, and, uh, to make sure that you have the right setup underneath you. I mean, you, you have to, the thing, the thing with go-kart racing as people don't know, this is. Um, the track changes as the day goes on, so a lot of times you, you have to make changes and, and anticipate how the track is going to change. As the, as the day goes on, it gets hotter, more grip is laid down, um, the track, the, the go-kart will inherently tighten up. So, you, so you're changing the setting as the day goes on? Oh, absolutely. You change the setup just about every time you go out, just slightly, just a little bit, keeping up with the track. And hopefully the driver's telling you that. I need more grip in the front, I need less Exactly grip, right, yeah. More grip in the back. Yeah, and then and some of it is an anticipation of what it's going to be like, especially if there's a long time period between a heat race and a final or qualifying in a heat race or qualifying in a final. A lot of times you'll, you'll have to anticipate how the track has changed. And it's not not necessarily as critical when you're racing a, a harder tire a go-kart, um, similar to the, the Ignites or the, the Margays and, and the 206 engines. Um, it's a little bit more critical when you get into a soft tire and 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 a lot of the carts are laying down a lot of rubber. Um, but you still have to anticipate that with you know with the heat changes, especially um, you know you've you've been in St. Louis or Springfield, it, it, it it's hotter than it is here, so the, the track will get hotter as the day goes on, and and the, and the, it will affect the go kart. Um, the thing that you have to keep in mind, specifically with a lower power go kart. Um, low horsepower go kart is that the f- the freer it is, the faster it's going to be. Because if it's bound up in any way, shape, or form, um, you're dealing with a solid axle go kart. There's no suspension there. So if both of the we- rear wheels are touching when you go through a turn, it's it's going to slow the go kart down. So uh, you have to find that lift for the inside rear wheel to get up off the ground, uh, and it will not slow the go kart down. So the tighter the go kart is, meaning uh, if it's bound up, it's going to slow the go kart down. So, it's just things that you'll pick up along the way. It's and it's it's pretty common knowledge with go karts, but it takes a while to get that right tune on them. Yeah, at some point this year, I think we need to do a a um, podcast just on the the mechanics of the cart and that would be where fun. and what to do. Who are the resources? Mm-hmm. locally and outside the local area where we can go to to refine that knowledge for mm-hmm. ourselves as racers and then also right. forever whoever we're in charge of our kids or right. wives or whatever. yeah well i think as the year goes on as well that uh, you know we we you know we might be able to help people with that um with my knowledge and and um i plan on having an assistant uh assistant general manager as well too that's you know obviously I can't be here 
24 hours a day. Um, <clears throat> given the hours that we're going to have with you know opening to the club during the day and then the general public from five to five to ten at night, um, we're going to have to have staff here to, to take care of not only the the club members but as well as the general public. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of was maybe hosting a, you know a small tuning class for people that want to do that. Um, but also we can play off of that and also do a podcast, like you said, suggested. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Well, Not everybody wants to learn that, but the people that do, I can help them with that. Right, right. and Or we can help them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're so, you know, we're kind of in its infancy here, and I, I think it's really exciting. I don't... Uh, or I want it all to, you know, get better and more exciting and more fun, mm-hmm. right? more more funner. I don't think you can say <laughs> more funner, right? Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great talking with you, getting to know you, and we thanks for having me. Can't wait to see you around the track. I'll be around a lot, <laughs> so you'll see me. Thank you very much for your time, and I appreciate you inviting me. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Well, that's the show. Thanks for listening. The next couple shows I recorded last fall, and they will come out here soon. Maybe next week, uh, but they're dealing with head injuries and helmet ratings, like what Snell even means. I didn't even know that. So stay tuned for that. Again, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Tell your friends and all the other track members to uh, subscribe to the podcast. I'm John Graybill, and I'll see you in two weeks. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.